0: Good morning, Freshwater Community Church. Whoa, whoa, very impressive. Okay, let's pray. Father, I thank you. We thank you for your goodness, Lord. I pray that that song we sang at the end, that declaration, you are good, would just burn in our hearts this morning. You are good. As some churches say, let, you are good all the time, even in the hard times. And Lord, uh, lead me today. Lead us as a people, in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I don't have this problem anymore because I shave my head. It is a choice. I am bald by choice and bald by boldness, okay? I have here. I just do get over it, okay? If you do, you do. How many of you when you got up this morning, straightened up your hair? Okay, how many of you weren't real pleased with what you first saw, so you said, this needs some work? Okay, let's be honest, okay? There's a fascinating verse in uh, the book of James, and it's a verse about looking at yourself in the mirror and seeing what needs straightened up, and doing it. We've uh, just finished a series called Jesus next door. That series has really been all about turning the ship. What we mean by that is the worst thing we could do, like absolute worst, and Norma, who is not here to pick up the pieces in this, he told me, preach it harder, okay, from the first service. So, Mike, you can speak to Norma about this later on, Brian, whoever, if you want to, okay? (coughs) Turning the ship means each of us at Freshwater Community Church intentionally engaging in meaningful ways with those in our world who don't know Jesus and encountering them, engaging with them, with the Christ-filled hope of seeing so many of them come to know Jesus. We're we're finishing this series, and I don't want to ask the question, how many of you went through the entire 30-day devotional? If you haven't, please do so, okay? Um, The greatest fear, and I was was just talking to Norm afterwards, is that we covered this series, and we're kind of like, what's next? What are we going to study next? These are Norm's words. He said, tell them, this is next. In other words, there is an intentionality that is set in In our leadership team, which I'm not a part of, I'm privileged to serve alongside these guys, I help lead Alpha here, okay, but I'm not an elder or a pastor. I am reverend now, which that's a whole nother ballgame, okay? Uh, That is true, but it's really weird. Anyhow, our pastors, our elders want to see this ship turned where we go from being yeah, I love Jesus, and I love fresh water, and I love my community, to say, you know what? I'm following Jesus. I want to learn what it means to look and do and love lost people. The intentionality of being Jesus' next door. Because that's something God calls each and every one of us to. If you're following Jesus Christ, really following, authentically following, then you're digging in to love others and see them come into life-changing relationships with the person of Jesus Christ. It's all dictated by this one thing, you're good. You are good, and we want the world to know your goodness. So I just want to dig right into this today, but I, I I hope Jesus next door has been a bathroom mirror experience for you that you don't back away from? What does my life look like in terms of intentionally engaging with people who are far from God? Am I living in that very real way as a Christ follower? I want to go through three points today. The first one is this, if you love me. Now, how many of you, husbands or wives, have said to each other, "Honey"? It's not a question of do you love me, but if you love me, okay? So it's, it's pretty settled. I love Colleen, but, and not a but in that sense, there are times when she has to look me in the eye and say, honey, if you love me, which I'm not questioning that, but you'll change in an area. And the first words I want to look at this morning, if you love me, are words from Jesus Christ. And it's always important to see it in context. Jesus is about to go to the cross. He is about to die for our sins to release the redemptive power of the God of the universe into human hearts. And he kind of lays this out for his disciples. If you love me, keep my commands. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. There's another one then, after he is risen from the dead. Okay, that's that's pretty incredible. He was crucified. They saw him crucified, and they saw these words ringing in their ears, if you love me, you will keep my commands. And I mean, let's be honest with you, those words gained a lot more weight after he had risen from the dead. Billy Graham, I heard him say it once. um, The words out of Matthew 28, 18 through 20, it's called the Great Commission, okay? Let's say those words together. Somebody say it first. Okay, that was amazingly lame, okay? Let's say them together. Great Commission. All right, now we're going to do it again and actually say it, okay? And why do I do this? Because Barna, Barna's study has found that the majority of people who call themselves Christians, they say, yeah, I have, I have trusted in Jesus Christ. They cannot define what were the final words that Jesus commanded us. think about it, if you're in the army and the, the, head guy of your battalion this is going to show you my real lack of military experience if I talk anymore. So I'll just say, the guy over you says, you know what? Do this until I get back. You are like, okay. So day after day after day, century after century for us, that hasn't changed. Jesus said, all authority, this is the great commission in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Now, these are two very clear commands, but I would also say promises that Jesus Christ gives us. The first one, when he says, If you love me, obey my commands. It's not just, he's going to leave you alone. I don't know how you're going to do it. I don't know how you're going to get it through, he says. And the Father will give you the Holy Spirit. He will give you an advocate to empower you. Second one, go into all the world. How can he say it? All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples. And then the promise comes, I will be with you always. Now, I would say that's a really solid, great promise, but I would also say this. It is, to a degree, a conditional promise. If you want a life filled with the Spirit of God, you will obey Jesus Christ. It's not like you're earning something. It's think of it more as positioning yourself in a place to receive. If you want to know his abiding day-in, day-out presence, or as much as we can because we live in a fallen world, we, we don't see it all, we don't experience him day-in and day-out, but if you want to know his abiding presence within you, go and make disciples. And he promises to be with us if we're willing to do that. Now another interesting thing is the criteria we kind of lay out is, how do I know I love Jesus? How do I know that I really love him? And our criteria time can be, oh man, I am so into elevation worship or passion or Bethel or whatnot. And I just get goosebumps when I worship Jesus. I know I love Jesus. Maybe for some of you it's just, man, we did this deep Bible study and I learned so much more about the word of God. I know that I'm falling deeper in love with Jesus. Those are kind of like supplements before you hit the weight room? The thing that builds the spiritual muscle is obedience, like doing what Jesus said. Like I said at the beginning of this sermon, Norm told me right before uh, he left uh, from first service, he said, be so clear. Our pastors, our elders want to see this ship turned. I cut my teeth in the Alliance. I grew up in the Christian Missionary Alliance, and back in the day, it was just pounded into us, good, bad, not always pretty, not always a good model, but it was pounded into you as a Christ follower. You are someone who obeys, and you go and give the gospel away. Is that your criteria? I mean, there's moral purity, there's being faithful to your husband, your wife, there's children, respect your parents, there's all that kind of stuff. Yeah, that is stuff that he wants to see us do. It's totally true. But the test of knowing if we love Jesus is if we obey his commands. That said, this life of obedience is filled with promises. And I already alluded to this, but I want to come back to it Obeying Christ positions us to receive the power of the Holy Spirit. And when you obey Christ, a life of obedience to Jesus Christ is the place where we are transformed. I'm going to define that, but I hope you hear that. How can I be transformed? How can I become more like Christ? Obey him. Not because he's this dictator, but because he's good And he is God, and he has every right to demand our obedience, because he's God, because his son died in our place, because he is good. But the response to that goodness is being missional, is being intentional, is being Jesus next door. I don't want to keep coming back to what Norm said to me. This is not good series. This is the way we are walking as a church because we don't want to be disobedient to God. We want to stay on mission with him. There's a book, um, and I... I want to hold it up for you. A guy by the name of Steve Carter was here, I don't know, three years ago, maybe, Sean, something like that. And he spoke, and a lot of it was based on this book, this invitational life. And I was uh, just reading it yesterday. I didn't have time to get the slides up there because it was so clear. Carter lays out in this book three stages of discipleship, okay? And stick with me on this because I want it to be so clear for you. The first one is simple discipleship. It's kind of like theoretical. It's kind of like Jesus is a good idea. Yeah, I love Jesus. He's cool. He's my whatever you might say. And if you were thinking of uh, a diet of Jesus, simple discipleship is always going back to the dessert bar. Okay, you're not going to get any real nutrition. You're not going to eat a hearty meal. I just love Jesus. We know he calls you to change in this area. I just love Jesus. He calls you to live missionally. I just love Jesus. No. You'll know if you love Jesus because you'll be missionally intentional. You'll be Jesus next door. And I I want this to be filled with grace and encouragement and all that, but I also want it to be so clear. The risen Lord of the church. Looked at his disciples and every other one of his disciples until the end of time, and he said, All authority has been given to me, therefore go and make disciples. I've called you to a lot of other stuff. I've called you to holy living. I've I've called you to a life of sacrifice and faithfulness to each other if you're married, da da. da, 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 da. But go and make disciples because that's what it means to follow me. Otherwise, we're not following. And I'll bring that point home in this second, okay? Uh, The book, so simple discipleship is following Jesus is a beautiful idea. Stage two of discipleship, Steve Carter would say, is struggle. That's when we truly begin to wrestle with the implications of discipleship. If I'm going to follow Jesus, whatever it may be, whatever stage of life you're at, I'm going to step it up as a husband. I'm going to step it up as a mother or whatever it would be. I'm going to grow and, you know, step away from sexual impurity. Whatever it would be, we begin to wrestle with the implications of what it means to follow Jesus. And that's, you know, old school saying, that's where the rubber meets the road a little bit. What are you saying here? I'm saying he says, Go make disciples. That's uncomfortable. It's calling me to step out of where I'm at. It's calling whatever. I get that. And I don't want to just have some model I'm portraying of gospel Jesus as saying, Do you know Jesus? Do you know Jesus? Do you know. That, that's not what I'm talking about. It means being led by the Holy Spirit hearing his voice, and intentionally engaging with people. Third stage of discipleship Carter lays out is sacred. I was talking to one of the ladies who was involved in ministry to abused women after the first service, and she said, Bruce, it's hard, but I know Jesus is good. I've dug in. Which are you? Are you simple? We all are at one point in our Christian life. Are you in the struggle point where you're beginning to say, Jesus, there are implications for all this, because the place where we are transformed is in the sacred, because we have been through the struggles. You could preach this. We have been through the struggles. We have come through the valley. And we have seen that God is so good, and even as I'm giving my life away to love lost people, he has been faithful. He is flowing through me. I am seeing him move in real ways in my life. This woman I was talking to at the end of the first service, she's, Bruce, you have no idea how hard it is sometimes to minister to these women because there's so much pain. But God has shown himself good again and again and again. But you can't be transformed until you step into that place of obedience. There's a song, uh, uh, let's go, yeah, let's go with this slide, Mark. Page 103, it says, uh, let's go back one, okay? This is the heart of Jesus. This is out of Jesus next door. It talks about Jesus being a friend to sinners. And he connects with this guy by the name of Zacchaeus, and he reaches out to him. He goes purposefully to say, what does it look like to follow Jesus? Jesus goes to Jericho. All these crowds are clamoring around him, and Zacchaeus is this super short dude, okay? And he climbs up on a tree to get a glimpse of Jesus. And Jesus goes, Zacchaeus, I came for you today. That's the one I came for. I love how the, the message puts it. It goes, the, the Pharisees, the religious were saying, if he knew who this guy was, he's like an enemy of the state. He steals our money. He does all this. That's religion. If you're engaging with lost people, sometimes you're going to create questions like, dude, you see who Farley's hanging out with? What's going on here?" But Jesus says, Zacchaeus, it's party time at your house today. I want to be hanging with you. I want to be loving you. And I love Zacchaeus' response, I'll I'll give everything away, I'll do everything, I want to follow this Jesus guy. There's a song we like to sing, um, it's called Reckless Love. and here's the chorus of it. There's no shadow you won't light up, mountain you won't climb up, coming after me. There's no wall you won't kick down, lie you won't tear down, coming after me. And it is such an awesome song to declare the love of God over our lives and to rest securely in that. I know Josh uh, Rains talked about it last week. But here's the reality. If you're becoming like Jesus, this is what your life begins to look like. So, there's no shadow you won't light up, so Lord, help me light up the shadows. There's no mountain you won't climb up, so Lord, I'm going after him. There's no wall. I love this one because I, I like action movies. There's no wall you won't kick down coming after me. There's no lie you won't tear down when somebody's living in shame. When you put yourself in the place of go and make disciples your heart gets transformed, and that which is who Jesus is becomes like you. Brandon, Tim, Liam, your moment of truth has come. Come on up. Real quick. Super, super quick. Let's go. Don't hesitate, okay? Watch this question. Who wants to be God? I thought you should be, okay? (laughs) We'll talk about these three guys in just a bit. Um, Brandon, you should be in the middle. And Tim, you should be here. Okay. I hope this doesn't feel strangely uncomfortable for you, but could you take each other's, just you two, take your hands? Aww. Let's all say, aw. (laughs) Okay, if I'm a Christ follower, I'm saying, this is God, okay? no pressure. (laughs) If I'm a Christ follower and I'm saying, okay, I want to live intentionally, I want to live missionally, you're holding on to God and you're praying, God, move in my heart, do awesome things, do great things through me. Please, Lord, I want to know what your love feels like towards lost people. But here's an interesting principle. Until you reach out and grab the hand of somebody who's lost, that's when the love begins to flow through. That's when you begin to get changed. And I think this guy invited this guy. Did you hear me? This guy invited this guy. This guy grabbed a hold of God and reached out to his friend, and all of a sudden his heart is being changed. He's followed Jesus, I don't know, months now. Is your heart being changed? Oh, yeah. Can we thank these guys? Woo! Yeah. Second point, we, not me. So if you love me, if you love me, you will connect meaningfully with the lost people with the real promise that your life will know an increasing fullness of the Spirit and you'll be changed. We, not me. I'm gonna get real practical for a minute because our leadership team as a church, we wanna provide resources for you as you are beginning to engage in a deeper, greater way missionally with the world around you. And what Beth Falkenberg and Nikki Matichak have done, they're being subversive in the children's ministry room. Okay, how many of you have heard of Freshwater's fantastic, fun-filled, and free family film Fridays. Anybody heard of it? A couple of people. You're on a leadership team or whatnot. What? Freshwater's fantastic, fun-filled, and free family. Uh, say that five times and try and chew gum. Anyhow, what that is is Friday, July last Friday in July, Friday August last, Saturday, last Friday in August. We're gonna have family film nights, okay? The cool thing is Beth and Nikki are talking to the kids and they're going like, guys, you know who this family film night is for? No Miss Nikki, no Miss Beth. It's for people who don't know Jesus. So we want you to invite all your friends who don't know Jesus. And the kids are like, yeah, let's do it. And they're, they're pumped about it, okay? But inherent in that, no pressure, gang, if you're a mom or dad of that age group, your kids are gonna look to you and go, who we inviting, mom and dad? Who we bringing to this so they can experience the love of God? The goal is that we would provide an environment where people who don't know Jesus can begin to connect meaningfully with community. Free hot dogs, mm-hmm. summertime, the living is easy. Free popcorn, like Brandon, Liam, Tim, Nicole, who's not here this morning, young people, whoever. Invite people. This is this one thing. And we're not going to card people at the door, Christian, you're out of here, okay? But we're going to trust you to begin to step out. This is pretty, it's pretty low bar in a good way, because hopefully many of them will walk away and go, you know what, I I felt something there I've never felt anywhere before. I felt loved. I love in that testimony video that Brandon and Tim and Liam made, one of them that said, I came to Freshwater and it felt different. That's the power of the Spirit. That same thing can happen at a free Friday family film night. The movies we're watching are Sing 2 and Zootopia. I was watching Sing 2 and I started crying. I mean, what's redemption? It's such a beautiful story, that kind of stuff. That is a we, not a me. I contrast, uh, I invited a friend of mine, Steve, to a men's steak night. And I'm not calling anybody on this about three years ago. And he is not a Christian, not yet. He's a yet-to-be Christian. And I invited him, and it was like, whoa, other than Sean, my man Sean, nobody came up and talked to Steve. Now, let me contrast that with Lana McCulley, who's just all over. When I grow up, I want to be like Lana okay? She, as people come in on a Sunday morning, she is purposefully, ask her, she is looking for the one. What if it would look like fresh water if we just became this welcoming place? And instead of this doing our little holy huddles, we just say, no, let's connect with the one. Let's notice the one let's engage, let's be welcoming. This is part of what it means to turn the ship. And if you're kind of like, well, I don't want to break up the holy huddle, it's so nice, et cetera, I mean, Jesus gives a good word for change. He calls it repent, okay? It's just like turn, give your life away, love others, because when you do that, you position yourself to grow. I mean, one of the best we slash me contrasting the two things we do and I'm the Alpha guy, and I'm sure some of you are thinking, when's he going to talk about Alpha? It's right now. Because if you are truly engaging missionally with people, you're going to need a resource for the conversation to go deeper. And honestly, I mean, I've, yeah, here would be hope of our, our leadership team that there will be more guests at this Alpha coming up in September than there are right now who don't know Jesus, because you have taken these four weeks. Well, what's the next series? This is the next series. It's going to be a different series uh, starting in a few uh, days. So I'm not saying all we're going to do is preach on evangelism, evangelism, evangelism. But our pastors, our elders want to see the ship turned to be an outward-focused people, collectively. We inviting people into redemption. We, not me. Uh, it says in First Peter, uh, he illustrates what is the church supposed to look like. We'll skip the barn and quote, Mark. But you are the ones chosen by God, chosen for the high calling of priestly work, chosen to be a holy people, God's instruments to do His work and speak out for him, to tell others of the night and day difference he made for you, from nothing to something, from rejected to accepted." Isn't that a much more beautiful calling than I do the church gig? We do Jesus, we do Bible studies, we lift our hands, we worship. Those things are all good. Those are the supplements before you hit the weight room. They strengthen you. They do all that. but. The transformation comes as we give ourselves to live missionally for Jesus Christ. You might say, well, you're being pretty clear about that. Only as clear as the perimeters are that Jesus set down for clarity. If you love me, you will obey my commands. Go. Be Jesus next door. Final point, Mary's tension. I so appreciated uh, Lynn's comments at the beginning of the service about Roe v. Wade, because um, we are entering a point of increased tension as Christ followers. I don't know how many of you know, but there was an abortion or a pro-choice, pro-life, let me get this straight, a crisis pregnancy center in Colorado was burned yesterday. I was talking to a guy after first service whose wife oversees crisis pregnancy networks, and she goes, yeah, my wife was there. She was a part of that one. How are we going to respond? As the climate increases, I'm not going to repeat anything of what Len said, but here's… Uh, we've, we've got, like, Nancy Wilps works for Akron Pregnancy Services. Lori Beale does something called The Garage that ministers to pregnant and young teen mothers. And if here, here are two ways we can really go here, and I'm not saying you can only do this and can't do that, but our reaction because we have made politics such an idol and been many of us fed more by Fox News than the Word of God. Our reaction is, well, let's, let's get the right candidates in office. There could be another reaction. Maybe I step it up in mercy. Maybe I step it up in compassion. The world expects us to go this way. They're going to get angry, and we're going to get angry at them, and everybody's going to be more angry. And, I mean, if you read headlines at all, it's a little bit crazy. I think this is an opportunity for the church to be something radically different. Why do I call Mary's tension in ours? Because we are stepping into an increasingly pulled between all sorts of things tense society. And I think we, uh, we sanitize the Christmas story. What I mean by that is this, it's, oh, there were angels there, and there was this manger, and nobody was questioning Mary. It's like, oh, she's pretty awesome, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Let me paint a very different picture. Mary goes to Joseph and says, I'm pregnant, man, that I'm entrusted to be married to, but it's the Holy Spirit. And you can see Joseph saying, I heard that one before. No, I have not. You know, it's just like, what do you mean you're pregnant by the Holy Spirit? But here's Mary carrying the life of God. I mean, it's interesting. Um, go to the next slide, Mark. Not, not, This is not about courage, but the one out of Matthew. There's such tension that it says in Matthew 1.19, and Joseph, her promised husband, being a just and righteous man and not wanting to expose her publicly to shame, planned to send her away and divorce her quietly. So Joseph... He wanted to be good about it, but he wanted to send her to the unwed mother's home and just divorce her and, like, I want to be done with it. There was tension, and yet Mary's saying, I'm carrying the life of God. And then, fortunately, an angel comes to Joseph and says, dude, she's being straight up. She's pregnant by the Holy Spirit. Okay, what do I say to that? So he steps it up. He does all these honorable things. But I mean… if. Two years down the road after the birth of Jesus is a terrorist attack to try and kill all infants two years and younger. It wasn't pretty, it wasn't fun, but Mary knew the life of God had been entrusted to her. Can I make a point here? You carry the life of God. If you know Jesus Christ, and it should be the sense of, whoa! You are carrying to the end of your days until the day you die as Christ is being formed in you. You are carrying the life of God within you. Much like Mary, tensions, tensions rising, my friend, yeah, I accepted Jesus, yeah, sure, he's come to live inside of you, right? You're pregnant by the Holy Spirit, you know, it's just that kind of like, whatever. But if you've given your life to Jesus Christ, the life of God lives within you. And the more you choose to be somebody who is Jesus next door to others, the more the power of God, the love of God, the mercy of God will flow through you. But you know what? We all get worn out. We all get tired. I remember one uh, day right before Thanksgiving last year, I had to get on a flight. I had to get up at 3:30, drive to Akron-Canton, do a two-stage flight, to go somewhere where I really wanted to be, to extend mercy to somebody that's very close to me. Give him a hand. Buzz is tired. I'm tired, real tired. You know that kind of wherever the movie that's from. And I was tired, so I'm on the second part of the flight, and I'm sitting there being all holy reading day 30 of Jesus next door. You carry the life of God within you. I'm like, that's cool. Yeah, whatever. And I wanted to go to sleep. And I just felt the Holy Spirit nudge me. Talk to the kid across the aisle. I'm really like, I'm not saying you heard a voice. No, I sensed, okay? And I'm like, Jesus, nice idea. No, talk to them. Uh, so, where are you headed? I mean, just be be good at starting conversations. Ask open-ended questions. Well, I'm, I'm Connecticut. I'm on my way down to Florida. Really, you're going down there to see family? No. Well, kinda. What do you mean? My dad lives in Connecticut. My mom lives in Florida. And before we go, this I don't know, 30 seconds deeper in the conversation. I'm basically looking at a young man, looks like a pretty sharp kid, et cetera, et cetera, who has spent the last seven years of his life being in a ping pong ball in his parents' marital brokenness ping pong game. I drew him out a little bit more, so what are you going to do, da-da-da, da-da, what are you doing in life? And all of a sudden he just looks at me, and he says these four words. I am so lost." I was transformed a little bit in that moment. My heart grew larger. I wasn't even tired anymore. I was energized. It's interesting when Mary... uh, gets her presentation to her that you are carrying the life of God. It's uh, called the Magnificat, for those of you maybe from more of a liturgical background, and it's out of Luke 1. My soul proclaims the greatness of the Lord, and my spirit exalts in God my Savior. I love the next line there, Mark. He has looked with mercy on my lowliness. And a few lines later in it, she just says, holy is his name. Let me ask you a question as we begin the journey deeper by ending the series. I hope you followed my train of logic on that. As we embrace the journey of becoming Jesus next door and turning the ship. We've only just begun. It's an old carpenter song that I will not sing for you, okay? We have only just begun. Well, I read the book. It was great. We're done. What's next? No, 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 no. In the same way that you got up this morning and said, I look a mess right now, we change. Jesus, help me go deeper. See, if you see evangelism as a thing to do, That can feel like a drag. If you see being Jesus next door as a profound doorway into spiritual transformation, that's a much different ballgame. Mary says, let me just ask this rhetorical question before we go there. Has Jesus Christ looked with mercy on your lowliness again? And again, and again, yeah, that's what grace is. Her response is this, holy is his name. That was, I think, her point of surrender, Jesus, this is crazy, I'm supposed to say I'm pregnant by the Holy Spirit, and I am, and I'm going to go for it. It was a life that was tough, but she found the sacred space. She found the sacred space where her heart grew. It was broken, but even as she watched her son grow up in front of her and be crucified and rise again, I love it the fact Mary was one of the first people at the tomb on that day. Will you allow the resurrection life of Christ? Will you you be pregnant with him, his love, his compassion, his gospel? Let's go on this journey together. We know we've really embraced what we've learned these last four weeks when we look around here six months, 12 months, 18 months later, and this place is exploding with new life. If you want metrics, there's your metric. We've embraced this thing together. And I guarantee you this, I don't want to sound like some cheap used car salesman. If we do this, if we give ourselves to it, your heart will be so much more alive in God. Let's stand. Lord, together, collectively as a church, we say you have looked with mercy on my lowliness. I want to declare it this morning, Father, not just in a song that provokes deep feelings within me, but I want to declare it as I step out the doors of this place. You are worthy. Here's my life.